about 10 years ago, we had a, a difficult couple months at the Woodruff household. I, uh, it revolved around our oldest son and the selection of a college. We did all the sort of things you're supposed to do. We started early. We visited schools. There was tests taken, and then, then there was uh, schools identified, target schools and reach schools and safety schools. And, and uh, Austin, who had been able to beat me in chess since before he was six, had lots of options, and we were well on our way. And then... Um, to say the whole application process was not one that he attacked with quite the vigor I uh, was encouraging. And so we started to get into a little power struggle here. And the harder I pushed and the more I set deadlines, the less he did. And, and then the more I pushed and the less he did. And it, I'll save you the details. It got pretty bleak there for a while. And, and the low point was at 10 p.m. on the night that applications were due by midnight. He had not sent in any. Uh, they were all done. He just was not hitting the send button, and I was apoplectic and about to need medical attention. And uh, it all worked out. It all worked out just fine. Uh, but a few days after everything had been resolved, Sherry came to both of us and said, "Okay, I think we all have reasons to be embarrassed by the way we have acted." Uh, I don't think she did, but I certainly did, and uh, she said, we all have reasons to be embarrassed. She goes, we gotta, we got to think about what happened here so that it doesn't happen again because we have two other students, two other kids we're going to have to get in college, and I'm not going through this again. So um, I share that to say I think as it comes to this political moment that we as Americans and to some extent even more specifically as Christ followers all have reasons to be embarrassed by what has happened over the last six months. The rhetoric, the allegations, the despair, the, uh, the anger, the threats from all sides, I think lead us all to say, well, we could do better than this. And uh, I have been called upon to referee uh, fights. I have been, uh, I've been appealed to by all kinds of uh, political um, inclinations. I have uh, received tense emails. I've received emails in all caps with lots of exclamation points. My mom told me yesterday at the retirement community that she lives uh, at the tennis courts, two 80-year-olds got in a fight, uh, <laughs> and it ended when one dumped coffee on the other one. And so it, it's, it's, this is not a political uh, high-water mark for our country. And um, about six months ago, I, I grew concerned that whoever won uh, there was so much toxicity in the, in the air that governing was going to be a problem. And so my prayer began to go in that direction. We have a prayer uh, vigil coming up that starts tomorrow. Uh, we'll uh, alert you again, give you an opportunity to sign up for a 15-minute time. We're trying to have at least three people praying over the course of the first part of this week, and so I would encourage you to do that. I want to take advantage of, of uh, this morning to think a little bit about how we think about what's going on and how we, uh, how we play our hand. Now, I want to say I, I had no desire to head down this path. Uh, my typical MO over the previous three campaigns that I have been senior pastor is to say whatever I wanted to say about how we think about government in Romans 13 and how God has set this up, to say all that in the summer before the election and then to basically try and stay uh, above or below the partisan fray and move forward.
and so my intention was that we would return to Luke, and uh, you know, we, we did the fall series, and then uh, last weekend was Reformation Sunday, and they looked at that, and now we're back in Luke because it's all sort of carefully choreographed to end on Easter. And so uh, I was feeling very good about that. And then six weeks ago, I looked ahead to see what the sermon topic would be in Luke here, and I discovered to my horror that it is one of the most politically charged statements Jesus ever gives. And so I, uh, I thought about delaying the Luke passage. I thought about assigning this to Anson or the campus pastors. I thought about... I thought about faking an appendix attack, you know, all those things. And then I said, no, uh, there, are, there are things that probably can be and should be said. So Luke 20, uh, 20 through 26 is a passage in which two groups have gone together to try and trap Jesus. It's the Pharisees and the Herodians. So the Pharisees and the Sadducees are political, or excuse me, are theological opposites and enemies. The Pharisees and the Herodians are political opposites and enemies, but they are working in concert to try and trip up this guy that they don't like, the popularity that he has. And so they ask a question. Uh, It's a gotcha question. They say, teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not. Who are you going to vote for, Jesus? This is the, this is the question that they sort of throw down. And um, I wear this passage, my understanding going into it is that it was a dicey moment because obviously if he says don't pay your taxes to the Roman, the Jews of course are living in subjection to the Roman uh, occupying force the Romans are very unpopular. If Jesus says, don't pay any money to the Romans, then he's in trouble with the Romans. If he says, pay to the Romans, he's in trouble with the people. Uh, it's, it's obviously a very difficult situation. But there's a whole lot more going on at this moment. This is not the normal tax. This is a headcount tax. Uh, and, and this is the tax that the Romans imposed on the Jews for the privilege of having Caesar as their king. So it's not that much money. It was one denarius. It's about $50. It wasn't the money. It was sort of the insult because the the Jews didn't want Caesar as their king. And so when this tax was initially established about 25 years earlier, a man by the name of Judas the Galilean, not related at all to Judas who will betray Jesus, but Judas the Galilean, had led a revolt and told the Jews, do not pay this tax. And then uh, he talked a lot about how God was their king, and then he cleansed the temple, and it was about that time that the Romans crushed him and, and killed him. So now, 25 years later, here comes Jesus the Galilean, and he talks a lot about the kingdom of God, and he has just cleansed the temple. Right, And so now they're saying, okay, do we pay this headcount tax or not? Are you walking in the footsteps of this Judas the Galilean? So this becomes much more sort of supercharged. If Jesus says no, Rome will move instantly to, to kill him and to crush him. And if he says yes, then his popularity among the Jewish people will plummet because this is such an unpopular 
anti-Jewish kind of, uh, of, of tax. And what Jesus says here is, is masterful. It's one of those many times where even if you know what Jesus is going to say when he says it, it's like, oh my goodness, nobody else could, could come up with this. Uh, when politicians get asked a question they don't want to answer, right, they just don't answer it, right? I mean, they just pivot and they say, that's very interesting. Uh, you're aware that my, my opponent is against motherhood and apple pie and, you know, Chicago Cubs. And, 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 just, they, and, and no matter how many times the moderator or the interviewer says, this is a yes or no question, yes or no, they just don't answer the question and everybody gets angry. So Jesus gets asked this question. It's a yes or no question. He doesn't answer it, but nobody's angry. Everybody is just amazed. Because he, he, he takes this to a completely different level. So he says, let me see the denarius, because it's a denarius tax. About, it's, a, it's a $50 bill. Let me see the denarius. They hand it to him. He goes, whose image is on it? The image is Tiberius Caesar, uh, who is Caesar. And it says on the coin, Tiberius Caesar, son of God and high priest. Because when a Caesar would die, the understanding the Romans had is that he became a god. So now when, when his son steps in, that son is the son of God and high priest. So he says, whose image, the Greek word here is icon, and this, this word is powerful, and the whole idea of image is powerful, right? Whose image is on that coin? Well, that's the image of Tiberius Caesar. And he says, and he uses a, a, a rare word, a word that's hard to translate. He says, well, it doesn't say give. He says, he says render under, unto Caesar's what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's, right? So give back to Caesar what Caesar deserves, which, okay, could be the coin that has his image. Uh, it could also be pushback. That's not clear. But give to God those things made in God's image, which would be us, right? So the answer is one that just leaves you going, okay. So he didn't technically answer the question. I mean, he sort of advertises he's not going to be uh, in in lockstep of Judas the Galilean, but he suggests that his understanding of the kingdom of God is far deeper and richer and, and more and bigger than previously understood. So this is, a, this is a very Jesus-like statement that Jesus makes here uh, on, this, on this political question. And it's obvious he's not going to sort of be pulled into the partisan moment, but he's very political in the things that he says. So, on the basis of that, I realized I, I, can't, I, I can't run from this. And it does seem that there are a couple of things that probably just need to be said, right? I, I mean, we, we need to just step back and remember, yeah, this is a bad moment. Uh, this is a tense moment. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of hopelessness and despair out there. I read the last survey I saw is that a quarter of people would rather that a meteor wipe out the world than that either of the major party candidates take office. 
so the American Psychological Association has said over half of Americans are, are under significant stress due to the election. So, so there's, there's a lot of tension out there. But this is by no means the worst moment. Right? There was a civil war. There was a time when, when white Americans were enslaving black Americans. Uh, we've gone through world wars, depressions. There, there's been, there have been worse moments. So we need to, we need to keep things in perspective. Uh, many things could go bad. And most of us would still have it better than 95% of the people who have ever lived have it. Uh, so perspective. Secondly, we, we need to remember that while this election is important, laws matter, leadership matters, the tax code is important, there's moral implications there, who deploys our military and how it's, how it's used is very important, government matters, God set up government, good government allows people to flourish, bad government causes things to unravel. This is all important, but it's not all important right? God is ultimately important. And God is not limited in any way by uh, the candidates on the ballot. God is God. He is almighty. Uh, Proverbs uh, 21.1 says, the Lord can control a king's mind as he controls a river. He can direct as he pleases. Um, a couple of months ago, NASA or somebody came out and said, you know, we, we miss, we we misunderstood the size of the, of, of the cosmos. It's almost 100 times bigger than we thought. And so there are 2 trillion galaxies, and each galaxy has about 200 billion stars. Right? And so I just want to say the God who created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them is not limited in any way by the political options uh, on the ticket, right? God is God, he is almighty, and uh, God can engineer whatever God needs to engineer. So I would also say um, this election, and however important it is, never gives us an excuse to not be who we've been called to be, people who are loving and kind and, and are characterized by joy and, and, and patience, Right, those are to be uh, the fruit of the spirit. I am. Uh, I am. Was convicted this week when I realized that Jesus tells us to be more self-critical than others critical. And I thought, am I applying the same standards to myself that I am applying uh, to the candidates? So, look, I don't expect that we're all going to think the same way, vote the same way. Uh, I, I, don't even, I don't even think that that's what we're called to. But we are called to love and unity and um, to not panic. And I want to say, let others panic. Let others say they're moving to Canada, right? You know, God's got this. This is not the kind of, of darkest moment that, uh, that anyone could face. I want to suggest that, that we can watch... A Christ follower can watch the events unfold in the next week with the same confidence that we could watch Game 7 of the World Series in rerun, right? There may be moments when they tie, Indians tie in the eighth inning where your heart starts to race again. But then you go, no, I, I actually know how this ends, right? I know how this ends. And so God is God. He is in control 
and we, we just need to, we need to be characterized by that. So I thought about going to John 17, to the high priestly prayer. If you haven't read it lately, it's this call to unity that what unites us around Jesus should be bigger and more powerful than what divides us platforms and, and party politics. So I thought about going to John 17. I decided to go instead to Psalm 62. So as noted, this is a psalm that was written by David during a moment of great political crisis. So we think it, is, it ties back to 1 Samuel chapter uh, 15. So in 1 Samuel, or excuse me, 2 Samuel 15. In 2 Samuel 11 and 12, David makes the decision to sleep with Bathsheba, who is someone else's wife. He's not married to this woman. And then in order to cover this up, he has, the, he has her husband killed. It's, 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 it's a bad run of things. He will eventually be confronted by Nathan, uh, the prophet. He will confess. He will repent. Nathan will say, you are forgiven, but you have to understand there are repercussions of what you have done. And because of the natural repercussions of what you've done, what God wanted to save you from, in part, uh, the sword will never depart from your house. And so David is mul- has multiplied wives, he's multiplied kids, so he has, all these, he has all these sons and daughters by different women who are now competing with each other to be king. And at a certain point, one of them, Absalom, uh, stages a coup and tries to take over, and he forces David out, and he mobilizes some of the generals, so he's now trying to be in charge of Israel. David and the rest of his family, right? The other wives, the other children, all are fleeing because everybody is coming after them to kill them. That is what Absalom has got to pull off in order to secure power. So David and uh, the rest of his family have fled into the desert, the very place they used to hide out when Saul was trying to kill him before David became king. So he's, he is on the run. It is bad. Uh, I realize that some of you are really not thinking about the election because that would be a privilege you don't have right now because other things, more primary things, more central things to your life are bad. And so you're not worried about the election because you're worried about those challenges that are going on. Um, And I understand that. I think most of us would say, what David, the context out of which David is writing, it's not, it's not just bad for the country, right? He's got, his work is coming undone, his family is coming undone. He's got, uh, one of his kids is trying to kill all the rest of his kids and, and, and him. And it, so this is a bad moment. So it's in that context that David writes uh, this prayer, uh, Psalm 62. And uh, I think there's something here for us. So Psalm 62, beginning with verse 1. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. So um, many see this, for God alone my soul waits in silence. For him comes my salvation. Many see in this verse um, an advertisement for the benefits of silence. And um, a couple weeks ago at a staff meeting, Ben Beasley, one of the, uh, the director of the high school ministry at the Crossroads campus, led a devotion out of Psalm 62. And he started by noting 
that uh, we don't really know what to do with silence. Uh, when Craig Ferguson was the host for The Late Late Show, he used to have a, uh, uh, he used to invite his celebrity guests at the end of the interview to join him in a 30 second, in a 30 second awkward pause where there would just be silence. And he said it was always, it would lead to raucous laughter because we just don't do silence, right? It, it, that's, that's just really awkward. So uh, the fact is there's always some sort of noise going on, right? There's always, there's always a, a phone ringing, a car alarm going off. There's always a radio station playing. There's always something. The word noise, for the record, comes from the Latin word nausea. It means sickness. Uh, we sort of, we don't even get that anymore. And we're so used to noise that if it's quiet, we get uncomfortable and we fill any silence with the radio or with a podcast, or we turn on Netflix, or ESPN Radio. We're just, we don't do nothing very well. And so um, there are those that say this is, a, this is an advertisement for the benefits and the need we have for silence. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. There are others that say that this is actually not that. It's, it's, it, this is a call for submission to God. John Calvin's in this camp. The, the Hebrew word that they're, they're trying to translate is, is a little challenging. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I see the validity, the possible validity in either of those two tra- understandings, but I think what David is saying here is something different. Uh, when he says, for God alone my soul waits in silence, I think he's saying, it's only when I am consciously and intentionally in the presence of God. And I am looking at God. And I am, I am rehearsing his goodness and beauty and power and majesty and love and mercy. It's only when God is filling my thoughts that the little yippy voice in the back of my mind that says, this is bad, this is bad, polls are going the wrong way, you know, you're, you're going to die, you're going to... It's only when my soul is filled with God that, my, that the little fear voice in the back of my head goes silent. For God alone my soul waits in silence. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He'll use the word rock numerous times. It means stability. You know, there's, that's a solid foundation. He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress I will never be shaken. I actually think a better translation is I will never be greatly shaken. Uh, I do think we get shaken. Um, He alone, note this, because he'll use the word alone about God six times. He alone is my rock and my salvation and my fortress. So I want to just pause to note, no elected official can supplement in the way we're we're after the peace that comes from knowing God. For God alone, this is is the point David is making. Some of you are going to like the results of the election. Some of you are not. Uh, Those of you who don't uh, will be disappointed later on. I mean, that's just the reality. Neither, Neither party, neither candidate, no candidate, no earthly person is able ultimately to provide us with what we most desperately need. 
no human leader can deliver us in the ways that will matter forever. God alone is our hope. Verse 3, he then, he now directs, he's talking initially sort of to God and to himself. He's now going to talk to his antagonists. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down? This leaning wall, this tottering fence, that's his description of himself. I'm weak. You could push me over. How long are you going to kick me when I'm down? How long are you going to take advantage of me? Um, They, now talking to himself about them, they talk, uh, they take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Verse 5. Yes, my soul find rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. So, so verses 5 and 6 repeat, in essence, verses 1 and 2. But I think that there's, uh, I think there's a comma in there. So instead of saying, my soul is waiting for God alone, he's talking to himself now, and he's saying, soul, wait for God alone. Right? He is... He is directing his own thoughts here. I've, a couple times in the last month, I have directed you to 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, where David is also having a really, really bad moment, right? So he's leading this, this uh, group of 400 vigilantes. They're sort of mercenaries for hire. While they were out, the Amalekites raid their camp. They kidnap all the women and children. The, they've taken everything and David now finds himself with these 400 mercenaries that want to kill him. It's bad. He says at that point, um, it, the text says that, God, that David encouraged himself in the Lord. David encouraged himself in the Lord. And I've asked, what does that mean? What did he do? How did he do that? Well, I think this passage is pointing this out. He talked to himself, right? He reminds himself of the things that he needs to hold on to. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the great preachers of the last century, uh, a British guy, wrote a book called Spiritual Depression in which he said, our problems stem from the fact that we listen to ourselves when we should be talking to ourselves. We listen to our fears. We rehearse them. We, you know, we sort of go through the wrong thoughts as opposed to saying, no, my hope is in God. God has got this. God is good. God loved me so much that he sent his son. God's in control, right? So I, I got in a lot of trouble for this. I sort of lit up my email, uh, but I, I, I stand by it. I'll say it again. Uh, if you're attitude, if your disposition, if your mood is more shaped by the media, whatever source of media that is, talk radio, MSNBC, the New York Times, Fox News, if that is shaping your attitude more than the Word of God, you're doing it wrong, right? If your views are more profoundly shaped by other voices than by the Word of God, then you're headed down the wrong path. David speaks to himself. Verse 7, My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock and my refuge. And he he personalizes this. Verse 8, Trust in him at all times. 
you people. Pour out your heart to him. God is our refuge. Surely the lowborn are but a breath. The highborn are but a lie. If weighed on the balance, they are nothing together. They are only a breath. Right? So he is talking about my salvation, my honor depend upon God. He is my mighty rock and refuge. He is coaching himself to have an attitude and a disposition that is different than the circumstances around him would suggest. So uh, this verse 9, surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. Uh, if weighed on the balance, they're nothing. This is just saying, you know, the scales at that point were like teeter-totters. And so he's saying that, that the good and the bad, the, the people that are trying to kill me and the people that I might put my hope in, uh, they're, they, they have no weight. They're like vapors. They're breath compared to the weight of God. God ultimately has this. They, the bad guys, intend to topple me. Do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. He's talking to himself. Though our riches increase, do not set your heart upon them. One thing God has spoken. Two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, with the Lord, is unfailing love. He is reminding himself of the things that matter. So look, uh, David is um, in the desert when he wrote this. Uh, I, I don't know whether we're headed into a desert or not, whatever that would mean. I don't know uh, what the next four days, four weeks, four years are going to unfold. Uh, there's a possibility things could get bad. Uh, one of the scary refrains in the Bible, um, we see it in Psalm 81 and Romans 1, other places, is that God gave them up to themselves. Right? God turned them over to their, to their desires. So at a certain point, he says, I keep telling you that's the wrong path, but if you want to go down that path, okay, I'll let you go down that path. And the fear, of course, is that we're going to get the government that we deserve as opposed to the government that we want. Um, I don't know how this will unfold, but I do know, right, that, that we don't need to panic and that God ultimately is in control. Psalm 146, do not put your trust in princes, in human beings who cannot save. Blessed are those whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of the heavens and the earth, the sea, and everything in them. Let's not panic. Let others panic. Let others say they're moving uh, to Canada or wherever. Uh, Don't look for salvation from a politician, and don't fear that uh, if the election goes a different way, that somehow uh, God can't engineer his plan. God will engineer his plan. We can have absolute confidence that, uh, that he is for us and that things will play out over time to our Jesus promised that. We are not looking to a politician. We are looking to a king who died in our place and rose again. And so we need to have a view of what's going on that is informed by the goodness and the love and the sovereignty of God. Uh, Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this book that contains uh, so many amazing Accounts, And to think that we are given an opportunity to hear the prayers of David during this moment of great political crisis 
and to see how he talks himself off the ledge and, uh, and, and finds his hope in you. May we be like that. May we be characterized as people of great hope and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness uh, of love. Uh, may we demonstrate that even if there, is, um, if there are many who are uh, angry and, uh, and, and headed in the wrong direction. Father, we, we can understand sadness uh, at what's going on. Help us uh, to not ever lose the hope that you have provided. So we thank you for the display of your love that we are moving towards, and uh, we pray that it would shape us even now in Christ's name. Amen.